Welcome to What's the Data Point from Citizens Budget Commission and Gotham Gazette. I'm Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. I'm Maria Dulles from the CBC. Thanks for joining us here today. If you've uh, missed any of our episodes so far in 2018, make sure you go back and find those. We've had some great guests, some great topics. It is now March and we are well into budget season and there's a lot of interesting things going on, both related directly to budgets, but also policy federal policy, state policy, city policy, a lot going on, uh, and we're tackling quite a bit of it here. So go ahead and find uh, any past episodes after you listen to today's, which is sure to be interesting and important as well. And for today's episode, we are joined by Andrew Ryan, a consultant to Citizens Budget Commission, who is working on New York's response to the federal tax reform that passed at the end of last year. Hello, Andrew. Hello. Thanks for having me. And before we dig into our conversation with Andrew, here's Maria with today's data point. The data point is $9.5 billion, CBC's estimate of the extra taxes New Yorkers will pay due to the cap on the state and local tax deduction, known as the SALT cap, enacted in the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017. Many of our listeners have been paying close attention to this issue, but for the novices, we'll try to make it simple. Historically, federal taxpayers have been allowed to take deductions against their income, meaning they reduce the amount of income on which they pay federal taxes, thereby lowering their tax bill. Most folks take what's known as the standard deduction, but others, particularly high earners, tend to make itemized deductions for any number of things, things like charitable contributions, home mortgage interest, medical expenses, and state and local taxes. In an attempt, a clumsy attempt, some may say, at simplifying the tax code and discouraging itemization, the federal tax bill increased the value of the standard deduction and placed limits on some of the most commonly itemized deductions, including that for state and local taxes. Previously, taxpayers could deduct the full value of state and local income and property taxes paid. Now, this deduction is capped at $10,000 annually. This may seem like a minor change. Most New Yorkers do indeed take the standard deduction, and the change in law may motivate others to do so too. But it is a change that may have a radical impact on the finances and economy of New York State, New York City, and other local governments, because those most likely to claim SALT are the high-income individuals who comprise a large share of the state and city's tax base. And their taxes just went up. We're going to get into all the details with Andrew Ryan. Andrew has had an amazing career in government, working in high-level positions at the New York City Department of Education and Department of Health, at the Federal Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, and for some major healthcare organizations. For the last few months, he's worked as a consultant to CBC, staffing a special committee of policy experts and business leaders that's examined the impact of the federal tax law on our state and city. That committee is issuing its findings and recommendations today, and Andrew is here with us to discuss them. Welcome. Thanks. So you led this committee, uh, some very esteemed folks, uh, putting together this report, looking at, from the CBC uh, vantage point, how will this federal tax law that's got lots of folks in New York very uh, much concerned and trying to take action and lots of things being debated on the state level, especially about what to do uh, in looking at this, not only what's the impact going to be, but what are the recommendations that should be undertaken, uh, kind of a a very CBC clear, sober look at things. Um, Just give us a little more information about sort of what the process was here to get to this. You know, it was a wonderful process. CBC started in late December, 
Tax Cuts and Jobs Act uh, passed December 22nd, and the CBC immediately, virtually, put together a special committee of you know, former state and, and city officials, budget directors, treasurers, controllers, as well as private sector um, uh, investment people, bankers, accountants. So we had a great group of people who came together, frankly, every two weeks, very intensive process, looking at the tax bill, then looking at the proposals or the options that came out of the state tax department, analyzing them, figuring out what were our criteria, what were our recommendations, and then culminating in this report that's released today. And before we get into the details uh, of what you produced, we should say the context here is that Governor Cuomo and his top officials have put forward some proposals. Uh, The state budget is being debated in Albany. It's due by April 1st. And the idea, at least from Governor Cuomo's point of view, is that there will be some major reforms to the state tax code in that budget as part of a policy and budget deal that they usually come to for a new state budget. And the idea here, of course, is that CBC has these recommendations out to help influence some of that. Right. And so I I think the governor has correctly recognized the urgency of addressing this issue for reasons I think Andrew will will tell us about in a second and has proposed legislation as part of the 30-day amendments to the budget to tackle this. And now we see uh, this response from the, the Senate and the Assembly. And it is a big question and point in the budget process about what will what will and will not happen with respect to responding um, to the federal tax bill federal tax law, and whether that happens now or in some sort of prolonged process. So I guess to step back and talk about the the tax law, what most people I think know and have read about it is that personal income tax rates got cut, corporate tax rates went down significantly, most people will see a cut. So explain to, I think, the average person why this is a problem for New York. I mean, you're you're right. Most people across the country get a cut, and, and most New Yorkers, in fact, get a cut. But as you rightly pointed out, because of that salt cap, New Yorkers are going to be paying 9.5 to 15.3 billion dollars more in federal taxes. Now, it's not all New Yorkers, it's a subset of New Yorkers, but that's a big number that is intuitively not part of what one thinks of as a tax cut. But in New York, we really need to focus on two main problems. One is that this, this salt cap we're talking about makes us less competitive for residents, people who want to come here, or people who um, already live here might want to leave, and businesses that they control or would start. And two, that we piggyback on the federal system. Our personal income tax, you fill out your 1040, you take that number, you put it on your IT201. I'm just get for all you data point people. <laughs> I try to give you the numbers of the forms. You put it on line 43. We piggyback on those federal systems. The fact that we do that makes life easier, but this tax bill then drives a $1 billion increase in in New Yorkers' personal income taxes at the state level. It it drives a $320 million increase for New York City taxpayers at the city level, and it drives statewide a $109 million business tax increase. So the two problems are New York's competitiveness for residents and businesses, and the fact that due to no planning or desire of our own, we have a huge tax increase in, in New York. Let's peel the two issues apart here, and let's start with SALT. So you're saying it affects the city's competitiveness, or the city and state's competitiveness, right? Um, why? How? What, you know, what's so bad about it? Is, it? is it necessarily terrible that those among us who are, you know, have the most in earnings and wealth pay a little more? This isn't about the progressivity of the system. It's about the relative cost of New York versus other jurisdictions. 
We are a high tax and high spending state we, and city, and we can talk a little more about that. The reality is your taxes in New York are higher than they are in Florida, frankly, even higher than they are in Massachusetts or Pennsylvania. And this drives those increases much larger. If you, you, if you earn a million dollars, and now we're talking about wealthy New Yorkers, because those are the ones who are biggest hit and can affect our tax base. But if you earn a million dollars, it already costs you $50,000 more to live in New York City because of taxes than it does in Florida. This Tax Cuts and Jobs Act increases that by another $35,000. That's a big hit. Now, if you're the very wealthy, and we have a couple of thousand people who earn $10 million or more in New York, these people are already paying literally $500,000 more to live here than Florida, and this drives it almost to a million dollars more. And if someone said to me, I wouldn't mind being one of those $10 million people, but if someone said to me, for $450,000, we just spend an extra couple of months in Florida, there might be some of those people who take that. So this really makes us less competitive as a place to attract and retain people and the businesses that they control, which hurts our tax base, hurts our business climate, and, and can affect all New Yorkers in that in the long run. Right. There's already a not small, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but there's already a not small number of people who are able to, who have multiple homes in different places, and as you sort of just alluded to, they're able to claim residency because they either actually do spend the time that it takes to be able to claim residency elsewhere, or they fudge the numbers, however, you know, they're able to do that, but there already is a fairly sizable number of people that does that because they can then evade some of the already higher New York taxes, which are now, as you pointed out, set to increase on many people pending what other changes might be made. And we'll get into those uh, questions. Right. I mean, at that, you know, you have options. And the more income you have, the more options you have, and the more you're able to sort of look at it and, and, and make decisions about where you live, where you generate income, and, you know, all kinds of other uh, business-related activities. And so I think what, what is important to emphasize is that the personal income tax funds 30% of New York State's budget, right? It's $160 billion, and 30% of that is, is from the personal income tax, and it's about 50% of the highest... No, t- tell us the numbers. So what's the... People who earn $500,000 or more right. pay roughly... 50% of the city's income tax and 50% of the state's income tax. Exactly. So you're talking about a small number of individuals who are comprising a big part of the tax base funding the services everyone relies on in the state of the city. And that is what's so, what's so critical that, to focus on this issue. You're, you're, you're exactly right, and that's very well put. If we potentially lost just 2% of those people, we'd lose $100 million in the city and $400 million in the state each year. So this really is something that the governor, the legislature are all thinking about, and action should be taken now because New York's competitiveness as a great place to live, to work, to open, to create a business has been important for all New Yorkers' future, and we don't want to hurt that anymore. There's a fascinating dynamic because you have a lot of folks, and obviously, you know, as inequality has grown, you have a lot of folks, especially on the left, saying more and more about the wealthy should pay their quote-unquote fair share and pay more. But in New York, those voices also need to hear that if wealthy and high-income folks leave the state, well, then even what they were paying is gone in taxes, right? You know, so that, that is a major concern for the state, especially as we talk about, obviously, growing budgets, social safety net, MTA, wherever the money, you know, people are looking to, to be spent – 
um, need to be concerned about the competitiveness question. You're, you're, you're exactly right. Interestingly, when we looked and we modeled what would happen to these very wealthy individuals, the salt cap actually hits them pretty hard. So the assumption that all these you know, millionaires and 10 millionaires are getting tax cuts is actually wrong for many of these people. They're actually getting tax increases because of the salt cap. I mean, many of them pay a million dollars in state and local taxes. They used to be able to deduct that. Right, their federal rate might go down, has gone down has gone a little bit, two, two but it's counteracted. But right. if you could deduct a million dollars and suddenly you can deduct 10000 that $990,000, if your federal tax rate was a third of that, that's $400,000 tax hit you're getting because of that. So these people are not getting huge tax cuts even under the structure with their top rate going down because of the salt cap. So... As you look at those millionaires, you assume, oh, they're getting a big tax cut, but it's actually not true in New York. Right. New York, exactly. I was going to just add that, is that it, it varies state by state. And one of the things that people like Governor Cuomo has pointed out is that this really does punish a number of blue states. Again, the political motivations here might be sussed out in court someday if, if there's discovery and all that, as, as the governor has promised a potential lawsuit. But... Um, the higher tax states, the states that are already higher tax, uh, are are the folks are hurt the most here. Um, I, we're talking about the highest income earners, and I think even as we say some of this risk of competitiveness and mobility, we should also say, correct me if I'm wrong, we don't know. We don't know what people are going to do. Let's say the state does nothing here. We don't know how many of these high earners will leave. That, that, that is true. The evidence is challenging in two different ways. One is that it's mixed. Some studies have said there's, there can be an effect. Some studies say there's no, no effect. There's certainly anecdotal evidence. There's a guy in New Jersey who left and took his tax dollars, wrote a letter to the governor and said, I'm taking my $400 million in taxes and going. There, those anecdotes sure. do exist. But en masse, the evidence is mixed. But the other piece is we've never had a shock to the system that is this big. Exactly. This tax differential increasing literally one year to the next at this size, we've never had something like that, so we don't have the experience. So, and it's, I mean, it, it, there's, as far as I can tell, there's no reason to not be worried I just want to make sure as we're talking numbers and studies and everything that we're also careful that we just don't know. No, we, we don't know. And I think the important point, and we have a recommendation in the report on this, is we need to monitor this, especially mm. about mobility and the implementation of any solutions, because we need to have better data on what is really happening here, because it does matter, because we should have that discussion about our tax policy and the progressivity and how we can conform to the federal government, all these things that we should have, but we need better data to do that. And this is just the time that it's really important. Maria's about to jump in with another question, but real quick for me, on, on more sort of middle class, upper middle class folks, you know, so let's step away from the highest earners for a second. One of the big uh, themes of the reaction also has been folks on Long Island, folks in Westchester, areas in New York City with higher property taxes. Um, what's it look like for that fairly big group of people? The standard deduction goes up, the salt tax, uh, the salt cap is at 10,000. What does that look like? I mean, is there a real concern for the uh, homeowner class? I think there's a real concern. The individual characteristics are really going to matter here. So if someone's earning $350,000 and living on Long Island, Westchester, and they have $25,000 in property taxes, and these are real cases, it depends. Maybe they had the alternative minimum tax before. So the salt cap doesn't matter to them, although 
the federal um, law changed where the alternative minimum tax hits. All this is going to affect individuals differently. And we did some models of like someone earning $350,000. If you have two kids, if you're a renter and you have no kids, you get a tax cut. If you're a homeowner, you have two kids, you get a tax increase. Mm -hmm. So it really depends on individual circumstances. Interesting. Right, and, and I think the report very nicely has some representative taxpayers you. so you can sort of see, <laughs> you're very welcome, you can see you know, what some of these examples are and how it plays very differently because it, it is hard to sort of make the blanket statement um, and, and figure this out now. Um, but speaking of the report, um, you know, th this is, I think, one of the first serious attempts focused on New York to say, okay, what should we do about this? How, what's the right way to think about it? So, you know, what, tell us what the principles were that, that informed how this committee came to its recommendations about what the policies are the governor should pursue. Yeah, you know, when the committee came together, the first discussions were about what a difficult position this has put New York in. And there are potential solutions, but they're imperfect. And so we stepped back and said, we need some principles to guide us in analyzing solutions because we need to think in the long term about New York and about good po public policy. And the committee said, we need to have practical solutions, even though they are not perfect. So they came up with five principles to keep in mind. One is to focus on the most significant problems. As we've talked about here, there are a lot of people affected by the salt cap, but we outlined two significant problems. We need to focus on potential high earner mobility. That is real. We need to focus on that. It'll affect all New Yorkers and not be all over the place in solutions. So we need targeted solutions focused on the most important problems. Two, we need to make sure that this counterproductive federal policy doesn't drive unsound state and local policy. We talked before, Ben, as you, as you mentioned about millionaires, assuming they're getting a cut, we can tax them more. You don't want to actually hit them with a double whammy that makes competitiveness even more problematic. On the flip side, there are people who say, we need to just have a slashing of all of our spending, and that's, that's the way to get out of this. We can't let unsound federal policy drive us to make bad decisions. Third, Conformity to the federal tax system makes it easier to fill out your taxes as all of us who sit at home, you know, sometime usually in the beginning of April fill, fill out. It makes it a lot easier. It also makes it easier for the state. If the state itemize, if people itemize deductions at the state level but not at the federal government level, and that would be a change from the past, if that happens, suddenly the state needs to verify all these things that they used to rely on the feds to do. So conformity to the federal system makes life easier. It's cheaper to administer. Fourth, we need to never compromise transparency and accountability. We can't create slush funds or things that are hidden off budget. That is not the solution to this. And fifth, as we've been talking here, we have to move fast on some of these issues, but some of them are pretty complex, and we don't necessarily have to rush in or shouldn't rush in to solutions where we need to do more analysis or see what happens over the next year with the Tax Cuts and Job Act. Every tax reform, like in 1986 that's happened before, has had unintended and unforeseen consequences. We need to keep monitoring this, and so we need to move appropriately with some of the more complex issues. Right, so I want to emphasize that point because I think it's very important. Um, and I think what a good way to think about this now as we kind of move into discussing the recommendations is what needs to be done now, right? Where is the urgency in terms of what we have to fix now within the next, you know, let's say within this budget cycle? versus what we should be more deliberate about and, you know, can and analyze and thoughtfully design for the for implementation, say, starting in 2019. So what should go now? What should we be more thoughtful about? Well, 
as we identified, the, you know, the two different problems. One is this unplanned tax increase. We should, for the most part, address that now in the budget cycle. Uh, the governor proposed to decouple from these, you know, six different elements that are going to drive this one billion dollar personal income tax tax increase. We analyzed that recommendation, and yes, it takes care of that one billion dollars. But we actually found that we think we should decouple from the personal exemption, the enhanced child tax credit, the solve cap, because that's most of it. That's seven hundred and forty million of that, and that's pretty easy to do. But as we looked at our criteria, as we looked at tax conformity, we realized that maybe we should spend the rest of the year coupled to the federal tax tax bill on the standard deduction, miscellaneous deductions, and the medical expenses. Let's do that for the balance of the year to figure out if we can figure out how to conform and not have that tax increase. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a go fast and half analyze to figure out if there's a better way. Because in the long run, we do need a more conforming system that doesn't raise revenue. So that's one of the things we can do in this budget cycle. I'll just remind you, as I often do in this podcast, like we're throwing a lot at you, but this is also based on a document so you can look back or look as you're listening or look after, look before, et cetera, at this CBC report. Uh, because when we are talking about decoupling or not, we, th- we throw a lot at you there, but you can see the, the nitty gritty in the report. But the gist is decouple on some things, don't decouple on others, study uh, as we go here, and then take further action perhaps as, as needed on, on that front. Well put, thank okay. you. Sure. Right, New York doesn't want to have its own alternative tax system. Right, right. It's more complicated. And one of the members of our committee had spent part of his career in New Jersey and could talk because they do have an independent tax system. So we had that kind of input in in the committee to help us think this through. Another thing they could do um, within the budget cycle, so there's the whole category of how we're going to blunt the salt cap. Mm -hmm. We talked just before about the unplanned tax increase. How are we going to blunt the salt cap? And there are three strategies. One to... can be done, should be done in the budget cycle, is to create the opportunity for taxpayers to receive tax credits for contributions for public education and health purposes. This is, the governor proposed it, and people have talked a lot about this. You create special funds. Taxpayers make a charitable contribution that they can deduct on their state taxes. They can deduct it on their federal taxes, reducing their federal tax bill. And on their state and local taxes, they can get a tax credit. So instead of paying that through taxes, they basically get a credit from their charitable deduction. The governor proposed to create that at the state level, allow localities to do that. And we think that that's a good idea that that can move forward. It's really important, however, going back to our criteria to make sure that there's transparency and accountability. We think the language should be um, updated from, from what's proposed to ensure that that the monies are appropriated, that they are spent with the same kind of transparency and accountability on those spending mechanisms that we would see with other governmental funds. We also want to make sure it's for public education purposes and the language could be improved for that. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Another strategy that the governor has talked about, and he put it within the budget cycle, is to create what he called the employer compensation expense tax. A lot of people talk about it as a payroll tax. And this basically says there's going to be a tax on businesses for employees over $40,000. We're going to phase it in over three years, up to 1.5%. So the businesses are taxed. So it's a new tax on business. But the business won't actually eat up any new spending because over time with that phase in, employee compensation will go lower. So instead of paying the employee, they'll pay the state this tax. And you say to yourself, well, hold on what happens to the employee, the employee then gets a credit on their, on their taxes. So their state taxes go down for roughly the same amount. 
and they see that over time. So the governor so your gross this. pay, your gross your pay, gross pay goes, goes, is goes less down than a little, it would be. Right. It not necessarily goes down, but it might or not is, grow like sure, it did. Sure, sure, sure. But your take-home pay goes up. Right. As if you were getting increases, and that's the presumption. And this so, relies on employers to opt in, right? Yes, that's a, a great point. So the governor proposed that it would be optional at the employer's, um, at the employer's discretion. And the idea is that because people are looking for a way to blunt all this, that there would be enough sort of public pressure for most employers to opt in. Although that's the we're, idea, in, that's we're the idea. in uncharted territory here. Here's the thing. This is a pretty complicated thing to do. This is a new tax that we don't have before. If employees look at the low end of, of that, employees might perceive like a wage stagnation. Are you, are you kidding me? Or a company might have employee in state A earning this much and effectively earning the same in another state, but they have a higher, higher gross salary. There are a lot of complications, and they're heightened at the lower part of the pay scale. And that's why as we reviewed this, we said – hey, maybe you should start at the higher end of the pay scale, maybe at $200,000, but again, we can do some analysis to figure that out. And 5% is good, but the state's marginal rate goes up higher than that. We would even have a better effect or a more impactful uh, reduction in the salt cap impact if we went to 6.65%, which is part of the state's um, progressive tax system. So we propose, we like that system, but we propose start at a higher level, maybe at a, at a higher rate. And again, as Maria was talking about what to do now, the complexity of this um, proposal needs to continue to be vetted. And we don't need to do in the budget process. The governor was right that it should start in 2019. He said businesses on Octo by October 1st should opt in and then 2019 start operationalize this. We think that there's enough time. We can continue to work on this for a couple of months. The state can continue to work on this for a couple of months before it makes that decision. So I wouldn't necessarily rush it in the budget process. That's interesting. Okay. I, I mean, the, the numbers you just went over in the recommendations were some of the most interesting parts of the report to me in terms of what to do now and where to go. And, and first, that, that you agreed with these two big structures for, for changing, you know, generally for changing the, the state tax structure that jumped out at me, of course, but then that you're recommending some of these more detailed tweaks to what's been proposed. But the idea of not doing some of this in the budget, you know, for me and probably others that watch what happens in Albany is a very interesting recommendation considering how they do so much in the budget. And then often a couple of months later at the end of the legislative session, they do a whole bunch of other things. But sometimes, you know, that gets tricky, uh, especially as we're in an election year here. Yeah, I mean... But you can't take too many of those political sort of concerns into... Yeah, no, I mean, employment. we looked at what would be most impactful, and, and the increased rate, you know, would actually affect those covered employees, another $300 million. We thought that was right. Now, we know in Albany a lot happens in the budget because there's a lot of trade-offs and, and there's political momentum to do that. On the other side, stepping back for good policy, the time might be necessary. And in, in fact, in, in, all, in both houses' bills, they both recognize that we have an issue in New York. And so that was heartening to see that different solutions, but they, everyone recognizes that there's an issue. So hopefully that creates the political will to have the best solution possible. So let's talk about the Assembly and the Senate, right? The governor's put out his proposals. I say we, in theory, agree with them, but have recommendations for how to tweak them and improve them, maybe make them more impactful. Where are the Assembly and the Senate on this? Do they, you know, they agree, everybody says there's a problem. Do they agree that these are solutions they should pursue? Everyone says there's a problem. There's some slightly different language about the problems, but everyone acknowledges the problem, and that's a great starting point. On the decoupling, that billion-dollar tax increase, 
Both houses want to decouple all the elements that the governors proposed. So there looks like good momentum in that way. Of course, as we noted, we think that they should hold off for a year on half of those elements. Now, I hope that they read our report, take those recommendations, consider them you know, in their process. But even if they decouple, that doesn't stop them from continuing to look at this and say, is there a way that we can conform in 2019 and not have a tax increase? So whichever way they go, they still have the opportunity to do more conformity and more simplicity in the long run, and they should take that opportunity. On the charitable deduction, assemblies said that the state shouldn't set up its own fund, but that the localities should, but only make it for public education. So I think there's, there's you know, room to discuss there um, in those tweaks. And, and the Senate at this point said no, but we all know that these are the opening proposals of a very complex political negotiation. I, don't, I have a foggy crystal ball, so I can't tell you how it all comes out. In terms of the payroll tax, the Assembly said yes with some minor changes, and the Senate said no, but they made a point of saying that they understood the issue. And I, again, look at that with the glass half full, saying that there's opportunities to figure out how to move forward, especially because the governor did propose that it was optional. And maybe with some of the adjustments that we, that we proposed and the business council said it might be acceptable as optional with some different tweaks. To me, I see, see those openings for a continued discussion and hopefully a positive outcome. Yeah, that's definitely your most um, sort of interesting political dynamic probably is where the Senate is willing to go. Um, because Senate Majority Leader John Flanagan has expressed a lot of skepticism about the governor's proposals and about how complicated they are and about some of the questions around reducing some of the gross or limiting the gross, yes, growth yes. and gross pay. Um, but, but as you said, there is more acknowledgement. There are more voices coming to the table. And, you know, we've got a couple weeks here before the budget is due. I just want to note, and, and we're in our last uh, few minutes here, um, we're not going to get to everything that's in the report, obviously, so folks should should check out the CBC report for all the details, all the recommendations, all the analysis, um, because we, we, of course, don't have time to get to everything uh, here. I mean, I think the, the last point we should address, Andrew, is what about New York City, right? So the city is a creature of the state. So much of the city's tax structure is set in state statute. There's very little discretion. But if you are Mayor de Blasio and his team, how should you think about this? And what are you know what you should you be looking to do to blunt the impact on salt? Yeah, no. I, as I said, there's a there's a 320 million dollar unplanned tax increase, and the city and the state are in discussions. And I I think are hopefully consonant on on that and can and can blunt that. So I think that's that's right. On the charitable deductions, I think the city should consider both on the property tax and the state said it's open to um, allowing that on the personal income tax, I think that is worthwhile to try. The state said that the localities could limit the amount. So it gives the city some flexibility there. And I think it's an option worth worth trying. On the payroll tax, we'll see where the state discussions go. It would probably be illogical in a certain sense if there were a city payroll tax without without the state. On the other side, if the state's going, and I think the city should support that, there could be a parallel city payroll tax with adjustments based on city personal income tax rates as appropriate. And I think that they should pursue that for just the same very reasons. I do want to note before we wrap up, in the report you do have some suggestions around considering further reforms, You know, considering other things. For example, forming the estate tax, you, you write, to uh, address 
attractiveness to high income households. Do you just want to touch on one or two? Yeah, uh, no, quick I, things I, there? I think that's right. You have to step back and look at the bigger picture on spending and city property tax reform. And you're exactly right on on the estate tax and larger tax reform issues. The, the estate tax, um, we're one of 12 states that have an estate tax. And people have talked about this, you know, for a long time, the, the federal government doubled the exemption uh, on estates. And we have some weird little cliff funky issue where you actually get taxed more than your some part of your estate than it actually exists. So there, there have been discussions for a long time. Now might be the time to really revisit those discussions as the wealthiest New Yorkers might have incentive to, to, to leave. Now might be the time to both reform that as well as say, send that signal that we actually want people to stay in New York and the political leaders you know, who very much believe this and, and want this to happen, this could be a signal. So it's the time to have that discussion. So, you know, it's a challenge. Every challenge is an opportunity. There's the opportunity here for the state and to the, you know, to a large extent the city to think about its tax structure and how it can be reformed most effectively. Well said. And so, Andrew Ryan, thank you for joining us and talking over some of this, a lot of what's in the report, but also for putting together a report with the esteemed group of CBC uh, that CBC gathered to, to work on this issue. And of course, really over these next couple of weeks, especially if you're watching to see um, what elements of your suggestions uh, make it into what the state especially does. And, and then obviously we'll be watching beyond that. So thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. Thank you.